we are. We believe that speaking in tongues is still for the church today. It is still the first sign of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is for every believer that asks for Him, and He will fill your life, and He will change your life. He will empower you to witness, and He will He will give you gifts to make a difference in this world. I'm grateful today for my Pentecostal heritage, but even more than that, I'm thankful that, that, that Pentecost is still for today, and that there's still room in the church for the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit today. If you're glad for the Holy Ghost today, come on, let's give the Lord thanks today for that. Luke chapter 15, verses 8, 9, and 10. Here's what the Bible says. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. These verses are coming up on the screen for you. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Jesus concludes this story right here and says, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What woman having ten coins, ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, she doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. I want to continue this series this morning, Family Matters. I want to talk to you on this thought, Lost in the house. Father, bless the reading of your word today. Help us to have revelation to understand what you're saying. God, grip our hearts this morning. God, and speak to us today through your word. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. I want to get into this quickly. Thank you, Pastor Tony. The entire 15th chapter of the book of Luke showcases for us Jesus doing something he was very effective at, and that was storytelling. Jesus had a way of, of using an illustrated story to drive home a point. And in the 15th chapter of the book of Luke, Jesus uses three parables or three stories to drive home one major point. And that point is this, that God cares deeply for people who are lost and far from Him. Can someone say amen if you believe that this morning? And Jesus tells not just one story in Luke 15, but three stories. He tells a story in the first part of Luke about a lost sheep. That if a shepherd were to lose one sheep, he would leave the other ninety and nine. And he would go and he would diligently look for that lost sheep. Jesus tells another story in the book of Luke chapter 15. He tells a story about a lost son who receives his inheritance from his father and he leaves the safety of his father's house and he goes out and he squanders his living and he squanders his inheritance with wasteful and riotous living only to come back home and have the father there waiting for him with arms open wide, Pastor Tony, falling upon his neck, weeping and crying, Welcome home, son. You were lost, but now you're found. He tells a third story that I just read to you a moment ago, a moment ago and we'll talk about, it, about that in just a second, about a lost silver coin. But he tells these three stories in response to the criticism of the religious leaders of that day who had 
pointed a condemning finger at Jesus for, of all things, hanging out with sinners. I mean, how dare Jesus hang out with sinners? I mean, did, did he not say in Matthew 9, 12, and 13, it is not the healthy people who need a physician, but it's the sick people who need a doctor. I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, Jesus said, but I came to call sinners. And the religious leaders were not happy about the fact that Jesus was hanging out with people who had no relationship with God. I mean the gall of Jesus to hang out with a sinner. How dare he do something like that? I hope you hear the sarcasm in my voice this morning. And I think that if we're not careful, we get stuck behind our stained glass windows. Oh, I'm going to make you mad on Memorial Day week. You can go home and eat a hot dog and hamburger. You'll feel better. And we get settled on our padded pews. And we enjoy the wonderful building that we have and the great services that we have. But we fail to realize that outside these four walls, there are people who are lost and have no relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And how dare we look down our nose and think, well, they're not as good as we are. And what are they doing here? Listen, oh, Lord, help me to be nice today. Jesus came to this earth earth for one reason and one reason only. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. For God so loved the world. He loved the whole wide world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus tells three stories to drive home the point that Jesus cares more about lost people than he does anything else in the world. And these three stories that Jesus tells have one common thread that weaves its way through them. And that is this, that something was lost and great emphasis was given to find that which was lost. I want you to think for a moment the in, about the intensity with which you will look for something that is lost. You let somebody lose a cell phone. I mean, your lifeline. And you'll see people flip a car upside down and pull stuff out of cabinets and turn up seat cushions and everything else. You let somebody lose their car key. You let somebody lose a piece of money. And you'll see some folks start looking. Listen, can you imagine losing your child? We were in Disney World last year. We go every year. Well, usually every year. Her, her, we go because her parents have a timeshare and I get to go for free, so we go every year. And we're at, the, we're at Magic Kingdom now, the number one tourist attraction in the world. And there are people everywhere. And they're having this, getting ready, to, getting ready, getting ready for this fireworks display and they, they, they kill all the lights in the park. And you, you stand back at this place and over top of the castle, it's just, I mean, it is, it really is magical. And last year, when the lights had gone down, everybody's waiting for the fireworks, this woman is frantic, and she has lost her 11-year-old daughter, and she can't find her. She was frantic. It wasn't my daughter. I was frantic. 
Because I'm thinking, what if that was JC or Jensen? And I mean, she, she doesn't speak a lot of, of English. She spoke Spanish. And she's, I mean, she is weeping and crying. And she, I mean, she is frantic. So, I mean, I'm not just going to stand there. So I walked up to her. And I said, listen, listen, it's going to be okay. Just, just relax. Can't, and I'm not trying to be, you know, super, super spiritual here. But I said, let, let the Lord's going to help us. Let's just pray and ask the Lord to help us find your daughter. I mean, I was scared. It wasn't even my kid. And I just prayed this, I don't know, some prayer. I stumbled and fumbled over my words. And I'm thinking, dear God, please let this woman find this little girl. And this park attendant comes running up. And she said, it's okay. We found her. Now, I had nothing to do with my prayer probably, but it made me feel like, hey, man, you prayed, Lord. You know. But here's the point. That girl was lost. She wasn't even mine, Jean Turpin. And I was concerned. Listen, do you realize that Jesus understands what that feels like when something is lost, but on a much grander scale. Listen, he's not looking for something that's lost because he can't find it. He, it's not because he doesn't remember where he's placed it. But Jesus is looking for people that are lost and far from him and have no relationship with him. You know that word lost in this, this trilogy of parables that Jesus tells? It speaks of being away from a place of safety. It speaks of being in danger. That word literally means being uninformed about a better way of living. Listen, I want to tell somebody today, I don't know, maybe there's a person here who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. You haven't really started living until you found a relationship with Jesus. You haven't really experienced life until you've experienced the life-giving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You haven't had a high until you have been high and hooked on Jesus. You've never known love until you've known the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never had a feeling quite like the feeling of what it feels like when Jesus comes deep down into your heart and looks beyond your faults and looks at you in spite of yourself and says, I love you with an everlasting love. I love you so much that I died for you. You'll never know what that feels like until you experience Jesus. And if there's one thing that all of us have in common... It's the fact that every single one of us in this auditorium this morning, we have people in our families that are lost and do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. By way of hands, you're in here and you've got a family member somewhere that you know does not know Christ and they're lost. You just raise up your hand. And that's, the, that's the common bond that joins us together this morning. As a matter of fact... One statistic I read said there's 170 million people across the world that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. One statistic I read said, said that if all the lost people were to line up single file at our front door, that that line would reach around the world 30 times. And what's worse, the statistics said, it grows at a rate of 20 miles a day. The research went on to say that if you were to get in your car and drive 50 miles an hour for 10 hours a day, it would take you four years and 45 days to get to the end of the line. And by the time that you reach the end of the line, it would have grown to 30,000 miles long. 
And all of that begins at our front door. And Jesus tells three stories to illustrate to us the importance of people that are lost. As a matter of fact, these three stories reveal to us some, some powerful truths. Number one, that God cares deeply about lost people. Do you realize that God, more than anything else, God cares about lost people? Number two, all of heaven celebrates. Listen, we get caught up in the masses and the multitudes and the crusades, and that's wonderful when thousands of people confess Christ. But heaven doesn't get any more happier than it does when just one person finds the Lord. Listen, you, you want to you, you see a party? All of heaven, it says, rejoices. There is more rejoicing in heaven amongst the angels over one sinner. And do you know how many? There are multitudes of heavenly hosts. And when somebody bows their heart to God and says, I receive you into my life, I'm telling you there's a party of all parties that breaks out in heaven. Number three, God is constantly looking for lost people. I want to take this story, the second story that Jesus told. i got a few minutes. I'm going to preach a little bit about this lost silver coin. And when I see that coin in this story, it speaks to me of our family members who are lost and have no relationship with Jesus Christ. They are lost in the house. I don't want this today just to be another sermon or a message that I preach and we leave here and go, man, that was pretty good and it got me thinking. I don't want it to get you thinking. I want it to get you praying. I want it to move you to action. I want us to start starting with myself. I want us to start caring more about people that are far from God, especially in our families. Not pray some token prayer, God save my family, and then move on. You know why this coin? There was two reasons this coin was so valuable to this woman. Now keep in mind it was a parable. It was a story that Jesus told. And the parables and the stories that he told were just that. They were stories. It may or may not have literally happened, but Jesus had a way of using illustrations to teach us something. That doesn't mean the Bible's not true, but Jesus was a, was a wonderful illustrator of truth, and he used everyday stories that people of that time and that culture would understand. First of all, that coin had such great value because it represented a day's wages. I mean, she had lost a whole day's salary. It was a, a matter of sheer necessity that she have that lost coin. Pastor Tony, she couldn't eat if she didn't have it. She couldn't provide for her family if she didn't have it. So it's no wonder that she turned that house upside down to find that coin. She had to have it. Listen, our lost family members, it's not a matter of if. It's not a matter of maybe. It's a matter of sheer necessity. They must be found and experience the grace of Jesus Christ. But here's the second reason it was so valuable. And when you study the culture of that day, that women would wear this headdress on their wedding day. And they would sew ten silver coins onto that headdress and would wear that on one of the most important days of their lives. And if that was the case, that coin had some very 
weighty emotional attachment to it for this woman. And to have one of those, one of those ten coins missing off that headdress was a big deal to her. Listen, to have just one lost family member is a big deal. But to have two or three or four or five, it's a big deal. They're lost in the house. Let me take just a few moments quickly and tell you about three things. You know, all good sermons have three points. So I'm going to preach three points real fast. Three things that she did. That we must do if we're going to find the lost people in our house. Number one, the Bible says she lit a lamp. That lamp would have illuminated the darkened corners of that home where possibly that coin had fallen. Because typically the homes in the Middle East built during that era, they were only built with one window. So that made those houses, made those homes extremely dark. So it would be very difficult to find a coin had it been dropped. So what did she do? She lit a lamp to illuminate that house. Listen, we must light our homes by living according to the teachings that Jesus gave us in the scripture. Because Psalm 119 and 105 says that your word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. If you want to light up your house and help find your lost family members and bring them to God, you must live the word in front of them. I won't get a whole lot of amens today probably. I'm going to give you some more practical application. You have to live the word. Be an example to your family members in your home. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you're going to help find your family, you've got to live the word and your walk has to match your word and your word has to match your walk. Don't you say one thing and preach one thing and live live another thing in front of your lost family. That's good preaching. There's nothing worse than a hypocrite. Okay, I'm going to take it off. There we go. There's nothing worse than somebody that says, you do as I say, but then you go out and you live a way that completely contradicts what you're trying to tell them, what you're trying to teach them. Don't just tell them. Show them the ways of Jesus. She lit a lamp. Here's the second thing she did. She swept the house. It was very common in that day for people to take straw and to spread it across the floors that were made of dirt and mud in order to soften those floors. And with straw spread everywhere across that floor, if a coin was dropped, it'd be almost impossible to find by just the naked eye. So what does she do? She breaks out a broom. in search of something that is lost. Listen, it's time for some of us, if we're going to find our lost family members and point them to Christ, we've got to clean up the house. 
listen, if you came to feel warm and fuzzy, wrong place today. If you came for truth, you're in the right place. We got to clean the house out. We got to sweep the house clean. We've got to get rid of the stuff in our house that gives the enemy a foothold in our homes. Listen, we can't see the lost people. We can't see our lost family because there's so much stuff in the house. I mean, there's so much. Oh, Lord. Spiritual hoarders. You ever watched that show before? I can't stand to watch it. It makes me tick. It's awful. I mean, they just pile stuff up and pack stuff. I mean, it's everywhere. But there are people, you're, you're spiritual hoarders. you got so much junk in your house, you can't see your lost family because of the spiritual junk in your home. Clean out the house. Sweep the house. Get doubt out. Get unbelief out. Get dissension and discord and division. Clean up the house so you can see what really matters. Are you still alive this morning? Clean it out. Clean up the house. Listen, God won't work where he's not welcome. That's a good quote. I came up with that on my own. Thank you. God won't work where he's not welcome. Make your house a sanctuary for the presence of God. I'm telling you, if you'll clean the house out, get the stuff out of your house and say, God, you're welcome in this house. And our priority is to reach our lost family. I'm telling you, God will start working in your home. She lit a lamp. She swept the house. What do you need to get out of your house? I don't need to go off on this tangent here or get up on a horse here and ride it. But I'm telling you, if you really want to get your spiritual focus back in your house and start seeing things through the eyes of Christ, you got to clean some stuff out of your house. What are you letting in your house? Is this all right? You all right, Brother Turbin? If you're all right, I guess I'll be all right. Thank you. <laughs> Parents, what are you letting in your house? Don't make, me, don't, don't make me preach right there. Well, you know, if we don't let little Sally watch that, that movie or have that toy, then you know. You've heard this one before. Well, Dad, all my friends have it. All my friends do it. I've already been through that the first week of this series. You've got to get some stuff out of the house and make room for God to be center of your house, the centerpiece of your house. Because you know what God cares about more than anything else? God cares about lost people. She lit a lamp. She swept the house. Here's my last point. Listen, by lighting the lamp, it speaks of her wisdom. By sweeping the house, it speaks of her willingness to do whatever she needed to do to get the house clean, to find that coin. And thirdly, the Bible says that she searched carefully. That speaks of her work. She gave herself to the task of finding that lost coin. Everything at that moment <clears throat> came to a screeching halt because she had to find that lost coin. Her priorities were rearranged that quickly because she had to find the lost coin. 
I'm telling you, our lost family members have to move up the priority list and become more important than anything else in our lives. Jesus, Pastor Tony, come help me. Jesus said that we must work the works of him who sent us by day. He said, because night is coming when no man can work. You know what that means? Time is growing short. Listen to me. I'm not trying to be hyper-spiritual here and trying to pluck on your heartstrings. But I do want to tell you the truth. It doesn't take a really bright, intelligent person to survey this land and this nation and this world and understand that we are living on the brink of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When people start dying for their faith, that's a sure sign that the, the coming of Jesus is close. Night is coming. We're not going to have time to work much longer. And regardless of what it may look like or appear to be or how hopeless your family may seem, don't stop searching and looking, praying. For your family. Exhaust every bit of energy that you have for your lost family. We must work while it's day because night is coming and you won't be able to work anymore. And here's the truth. If our family dies without Christ or the Lord comes back before our family makes it right with Him, I can't sugarcoat this for you and I can't make this feel good for you. There is an eternal destination of damnation called hell. And when people go there, they are lost forever. There is no getting out. There is no second chance. Well, Pastor, you're not going to pull out the hell card on us today, are you? You're not going to try to to scare us. No, I'm going to preach the truth of the gospel to you. Because we're now, Lord, I don't even need to be doing this. I need to, I need to close. <clears throat> we live in a culture now, in a society, that pastors don't want to talk about it because they don't want to offend somebody and run somebody off. And, oh, Lord, help me today. I'm trying to be nice. We've become more concerned with the numbers we turn into the state office than we have the souls that are sitting on our pews. 
You know, about three years or so ago, I got over the numbers thing. I'd go home every Sunday, and I would fuss and fume and complain. I mean, it just ruined my whole day. Where are they all at? Why do you people take turns coming to church for? If you'd come up one time, we wouldn't have to be upset. But I got over it. Doesn't matter anymore. Oh, I want people to be here, and I want the church to grow and be large and reach. I want us to reach as many people as community as we can. But it's not about a number. I, I just don't get upset anymore. Somebody say, you know, the crowd's going to probably be down this weekend at Church Memorial Day. I said, you see this face? They need to vacate. Go vacation. Because I'm getting ready to take one in a few weeks. And I'm going to tell you the exact Sunday I'm going. How many days I'm going to be going. When I'm going to be back. So you won't even have to wonder. And you better come to church. <laughs> but it's not about, it's not about a backside on a pew. It's about a soul. And if we don't work while it's day, night is coming. Time is slipping. Pastor, how do we work? What do we do? Get ready, and we'll close with this. You have to love, love them in spite of their condition. Jesus preached a gospel of love, and it was, listen, it was love, but it was truth, Brother Stout. He didn't ever pull any punches. And we get this picture, he was the meek little lowly lamb, and he just kind of tiptoed around the truth. He never tiptoed around the truth. Love them, though. Love them in spite of their condition. Don't say, I just can't believe that you do that need you to condemn them. They need you to love them and tell them the truth and love that, listen, if you don't find Christ, you're going to slip into eternity forever, and I love you, and that's why I'm telling you that. Secondly, you lift them up constantly and consistently before God. Listen, I've heard of people, some of the churches I've worked at, pastor, women that prayed for their wives that prayed for their husbands for 30 years to find Jesus. 30 years. Don't stop praying for him. Here's the third thing you do. Leave him in the hands of God. Leave him in the hands of God. And trust him to do his work. And finally, let the Holy Spirit do His job. I'm telling you. We, okay, I'm done right here, I promise. The Holy Spirit, when He came on the day of Pentecost, didn't come for us to speak in tongues. Oh, Lord, you just said that in a Church of God church, Pastor. It didn't say when he, now listen, I believe it's the first sign of the infilling of the Spirit. It didn't say that when he has come, you'll speak in, speak in tongues. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. He is still the agent that draws people to Christ. And he is still working in the world today. And the last time I read the book of Acts says that we shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon us. Why? To speak in tongues and fall on the floor? No, to be a witness. Speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit and all that emotional feeling, that's just icing on the cake. 
Now, I'm not downplaying Pentecost. I'm not downplaying the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm filled and I'm proud to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. But why did he come? So we could have a good church service? No. So that we would have power to witness to people that are lost. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit can still do his work. And here's the wonderful thing about it. We always say, well, God doesn't need me. No, he doesn't need you. But he sure wants to use you to help find lost people and point them toward him. Come on, stand with me, please. This is a family matter in your home. You've got every hand in this building was raised that said, we know people in our families, Pastor, that don't know Christ. They're lost in the house. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to, it's going to drive us to our knees to pray like we've never prayed before for our family members. I'm believing God to do in this church amongst your families. I'm believing God for a family revival. And I'm believing God to save your sons and daughters that are wayward and your grandkids that are wayward. Husbands, I'm believing for God to save your wives. Wives, I'm believing for God to save your husband. How's it going to happen? Pastor, I'll just invite him to church. Well, that's okay. But how about maybe instead of just inviting him to church, you just sit down with him, you just share the love of Jesus and tell him about what he's done in your life. And testify. Tell them the truth about his love. Bow your heads for just a moment this morning. Father, we...